Well, it'd be my joy if you would join me in 2 Corinthians 9. And it would also be my joy today if you would join me uh, in praying and putting yourself into a posture of prayer as we hear God's word and, and asking God that he would give us the joy of no longer being seduced by selfishness, no longer being seduced by inferior joys, empty joys of trying to live for our own pleasure and our own selves, but that he would increase our desire, our joy in being generous like him. Would you pray that as and, and continue to pray and ask God to do that in your heart as we hear God's word. 2 Corinthians 9 says, Now it is superfluous. I think that's just the Greek word they just left there because I don't know what it means. No. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask Oh, Lord, that you would do what you came to do. Lord, we just sang it. You came, you were born to reign in us forever. And, Lord, you were born to reign 
And Lord, you went to a cross. Jesus died and rose again that you might reign in us forever. And Lord, reigning looks like you. Reigning looks generous like you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us today, that you would free us today from our selfishness and you would give us joy in being generous. You would give us joy in being just like you, like our good heavenly Father who would give us Jesus. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not here tonight to guilt you into giving. That's what the pastor said when he began his talk. I was sitting at a banquet for a local ministry a few years back, and a pastor was asked to give the ask. It's that point in the banquet where they ask people to pledge monthly, yearly, maybe one-time gifts. And the pastor began like that. I'm not here to guilt you into giving. Then he spent the next 30 minutes laying the guilt on thick. If you don't give to this ministry, he said, I'm not sure you really care about teenagers. Do you know, insert statistic about teen drug use, and if you don't give, that's what's going to happen. What if nobody gave to you? Where would you be today? It's time for you to step up. It's time for you to give back. I know I'm going to give. My family's going to give because we care. What about you? Do you care at all? Sounds nothing like the Apostle Paul. Sounds nothing like the grace and generosity of Jesus. It sounds nothing like how the Bible teaches us grace-filled generosity. Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church, and he doesn't feel in this passage, hopefully you heard it, he doesn't feel like he needs to heap on guilt so that they will give. He doesn't feel like he needs to make them do anything, coerce them into giving. He doesn't pull He doesn't push. He doesn't lay on a heavy burden. Paul knows that it shouldn't take a crowbar to get money out of God's people's hands. You know, when we started Christ Fellowship, we started visiting other local church partners. We were inviting churches and other people to be a supporter of what God wanted to do in downtown Bowling Green, which Coming up in February will be 15 years, which is hard to imagine. We had a sending church in Rich Pond Baptist, but we wanted others to be a part of the work. We wanted it to be a whole kingdom mindset because we weren't here to build a kingdom of Christ fellowship. We were to further what churches in Bowling Green were already doing. And I'll never forget what Pastor Tim Harris said to us when we visited with him. Pastor Tim Harris out at Woodburn said, don't be surprised when God's people want to give. Don't be surprised when God's people want to give. That sounds like such a simple statement, doesn't it? But really, it's a deeply profound 
theological truth. A deeply profound theological truth. Don't be surprised, he was saying, that those who have experienced grace want to grace others. Don't be surprised that those who have experienced the generosity of Jesus, that they want to be generous. Don't be surprised that those who are the people of a ridiculously gracious God, that they start looking like him. This morning, I want us to think biblically and practically about what it looks like to be a cheerful giver that Paul's talking about. And I pray you would join me in asking the Holy Spirit to do a powerful work in your heart, because I need this work, and you need this work, that, that we would think about the gospel, that we would think about the generosity of a good heavenly Father, and His generosity would make us generous. His grace would make us gracious, that we would leave here longing to and wanting to look like Him, having His generous heart. First thing I think we see in this passage is that if we want to be cheerful givers, we have to be ready. We have to be ready. The first five verses of this passage, it's like a broken record. Over and over, it talks about being ready to give to this offering. The word ready or readiness is used seven times in chapter eight and nine. And Paul is like saying it over and over again, for I know your readiness. He says, you have been ready. He says, so that you may be ready. He even says, for if we find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated. And so that you might be ready to have this willing gift over and over and over. There's this emphasis that God's people should always be ready to give. God's people should always be ready to to give. Notice Paul is assuming they're ready because the gospel is at work in their heart, making them ready. He says it is superfluous. I know it's your favorite word to use. It's superfluous. He's saying it's unnecessary that I even bring this up. It's even unnecessary that I say this. Why? Because he knew they were ready. He knew they were born again ready. They were born again ready because the gospel of grace was at work in their hearts. Listen, church, Christians should always be ready to give. It's our new nature given to us in the Spirit. Since we've been graced, the new disposition of our heart is not reluctance. It's readiness. Your heart should be prone not to reluctance, but to readiness. As Pastor Tim says, don't be surprised today, Christian, that you will want to give because the gospel is at work in your heart. So practically, what, is, what does it look like to be ready to give? For the Corinthian church, there was this offering going around to all the churches that they might send money, they might give to poor Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem. And so 
all these churches, because God's grace is at work in their heart, they're more than ready to participate. You see that in this passage. They're more than ready. It's like their heart saying, don't let us miss out. We, We don't want to miss out. We want to give. Well, for us, weekly, it's very practical. As Jody said last night, it's always an awkward, last week, it's always awkward to talk about this as a pastor. But every week, we take up an offering, and our prayer is that this offering would impact our church and impact our city, and even impact the world with the gospel. Every week we take up an offering at the end of the service as an act of worship. And what I want you to hear this morning is that us giving, us giving to this offering is as much an act of worship as anything else we do on a Sunday morning. As much as anything else we do when we gather together. So every week, before you pull in to 601 Graham Drive at Christ Fellowship Church, before you pull in, you should be making your heart ready. You should be preparing your heart every Sunday. And that means preparing your heart to sing songs to Jesus before you ever walk in the room. And preparing your heart that you might pray together with God's people and be unified in prayer. And you should prepare your heart to hear God's word. God, whatever you have for me in your word today, I want to hear and I want to obey it. You should prepare your heart before you come to the Lord's Supper. Saying, is there any sin that I need to repent of before I go to the Lord's table? Is there any disunity with a brother or sister that I need to make things right before I get to this table? So in everything we do, we should be making ourselves ready. And the same is just as true when we take up an offering. Are we ready? Have we prepared our hearts to give? Are we ready to worship through giving? Another way to be ready is when a church is fervent in prayer and passionately seeking to get the gospel to the least reached people in our city and the most unreached people in the world, gospel needs are always going to arise. Gospel needs are always going to arise at Christ Fellowship where we could advance the gospel, where we get the joy of advancing the gospel. When our church in the last couple of months saw a need to care for our missionaries, you all were generous in your giving. You were ready to give to the missionary home. When our church every year seeks to give generously to the nations that every cent would go to those who have never heard the gospel, you all give generously every year to Lottie Moon. Listen, when you're always prioritizing the gospel in your heart, when you're treasuring Jesus above everything else in your life, you will always be ready to give to anyone, anywhere who is advancing the gospel. You'll always be ready to give to anyone, anywhere who is taking the gospel to those who have never heard. 
Let me say a quick word about tithing, because I think everybody thinks about tithing when it comes to taking up an offering, being ready. I think the most repeated question I get often, I'm sure Jody would say the same, and the other pastors as well, is this. Am I supposed to tithe on my gross income or my net income? Anybody ever thought that question? Anybody ever asked that question? It's a great question. But I would say it's not always helpful to think in terms of tithing. What I mean by that, it's not always helpful to think in terms of how do I keep this Old Testament law in order that I will be acceptable to God? How do I keep this Old Testament law in order that God will not be mad at me, that God would be happy with me, that I'll be right with God? So thinking that by what I'm giving, by this tithe, hopefully I can earn God's love, earn God's favor. Instead, we should think in terms of giving an offering to the Lord in worship. I want to give an offering from the overflow of worship to God, from a response not to earn his grace, but to the grace he's already given me. Because if you were to think in terms of tithing, in the Old Testament, you weren't asked to give 10%. You were actually asked to give about 20%. Actually, every third year, you were asked to give about 30%. You feel that anxiety rising up in you? So really, if we're going to keep the Old Testament law, if we want to try to do that to be right with God, we better keep it to the T. But, but what if we didn't ask, how little can I give and still be okay with God? What if you ask this simple question, how can I give more? Out of a heart of love for God, out of a heart for worship for God, out of a heart that's experienced his grace, in response to his grace, a simple question, how could I give more? I don't know what more looks like for you and your family, but I think that's a simple question that could result in great worship to your God in response to his grace. The New Testament doesn't ask you to give a heartless tithe it asks you to give a generous offering, a generous gift unto the Lord for his grace. Are you ready to give? The second, the second thing you need to be a cheerful giver is to be willing. To be willing. Look at verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge you, brothers, to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift. As a willing gift, not as an exaction. Listen, no one should have to make you give to the Lord. Paul doesn't want to make the church give. I'm not up here trying to make Christ Fellowship give. I don't want anyone to give what their heart doesn't want to give. And that's why I believe that pastors should never guilt people into giving Instead, pastors should give more and more of the gospel. More and more of the gospel. More and more of what Christ has already done for us. Instead of giving out, instead of getting out a crowbar to get into your hands, 
I want the gospel to get into your heart, to free us, to be the people that are generous and who love like him. A willing gift, he says there, that phrase, a willing gift, that comes from a generous heart that has zero expectations of anything in return. Zero expectations of anything in return. That's why he says not an exaction, because that means you're getting something in order to get something in return. No, instead, a willing gift is giving from a generous heart that has zero expectations of anything in return. Because if you think about it, really if you're expecting something in return, you're ultimately just giving to yourself. Isn't that right? I mean, if you are expecting something in return and you're wanting something in return, desiring something in return, you're ultimately giving, getting, giving in hopes that you will get something back. This morning, if you're hoping to put God or others in your debt because of your generosity, that's not a gift. A willing gift isn't looking for a response. No, a willing gift is a response to grace. Paul says this in verse 7. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Paul's saying no one should be holding back in your giving, wishing you didn't have to, regretting when you do it. No one should be making you give. No one should be pushing you or pulling you or guilting you to give. So my encouragement to you this morning, if you're unwilling to give, meditate on the gospel. If you're unwilling to give, why don't you stop and meditate on the surpassing grace, the willing grace, the lavish grace of Jesus until Giving becomes your impulse. Till giving becomes your joy. The third thing I see in this text is that we should be bountiful in our giving. Bountiful in our giving. Paul now turns to farming language in verse 7. He says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, I'm not a farmer. I know I might have fooled some of you all. You're like, that, you, some of y'all are sitting there going, that guy, I bet's a farmer. All week long, I bet he farms. I'm not a farmer, but I am close to a great one. And there's just no way, if you want an abundance of crops, there's just no way that you're going to plant a few seeds and hoping that you'll overflow with a great harvest. There's just no way. If you're unwilling to be lavish in your sowing, don't be surprised when your harvest is little. But careful, because this is not about this is not about what you can get out of your giving. This isn't the prosperity gospel. This isn't saying if you give more and more, the goal is that you'll get more and more. Keep giving to God, and God will, in response, make you rich. That's not the gospel. No, this is all about what God 
can get out of your giving. What God is after through your generosity. It's about God stewarding his gifts in and through his people. God will disperse his generous gifts on those who will be generous for his glory. Why would God be generous to those who would just be stingy with what he's given them? Who would spend only on themselves? No, God will be generous so that we can generously sow and so that we can generously abound in this great harvest. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, but I don't really have a lot to give, Pastor. Listen, God's not looking at what is given as much as the heart of the one who's giving it. Remember the poor widow in Luke 21? And she puts in two little small copper coins. She, it's really less than a penny in our day, so it's not a whole lot. Two small copper coins. But do you know what Jesus says in response? Do you, Jesus doesn't yell out, is that all you got? Like, is that all you're going to give? No, instead, Jesus says, she has put in more than all of them. She has given more than all of them. Jesus doesn't say, is that all you got? No, she was bountiful in her giving because it's not, about how much money you give. It's about how much of yourself you give. Don't be surprised if the most bountiful givers in God's eyes are the ones that are missed by the rest of us. Don't be surprised that maybe the most bountiful givers might live in this neighborhood who out of the little they have give so much of their selves to the Lord. The final thing is to be cheerful in your giving. Be cheerful. Verse 7 says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. That's a great line to underline in your Bible. Again, we need to focus less about how much we're giving and look at our hearts and, and ask, how are we giving it? Brothers and sisters, God wouldn't want to have all of your money if he had none of your heart. I'll say it again. God wouldn't want to have all of your money if he had none of your heart. He wants to have his people to, to be giving a willing gift from a joyful, cheerful heart that really wants to give it. Think about all this morning, all that you could do with your money. Think about all that you could do with your money. All the options are out there that you could do with your money. You can save money for yourself. You can invest money for yourself later. You can spend money on what you want. You can spend money on the things you need, maybe your bills. Or you can give. 
or you can give it. And here's my question for you this morning. Do you get the greatest joy when you give it away? Do you get the greatest joy when you give it away? I'm not saying that you don't need to do the others. Don't hear me saying that. I think you need to invest well. I think you should save. I think you should pay your bills. I think you should drink a latte at Spencer's. I think have joy doing that. But my question this morning is what gives you the most joy? What brings you the most happiness today? Does your joy increase when you spend it on you? Or does your joy increase when you give it to others and give it for the glory of God? Is that where you find the most joy? Because when we're givers, we look a lot like our God. When we're givers, we hear the words of Jesus when he says, it is more blessed, more happy to give than to receive, and we believe it. Tim Challey says this, money may not be able to purchase the greatest and deepest joy, but it can still generate it. The joy is there for the taking. The joy is there for the giving. The joy is there for the generous. So I ask you this morning, are you ready to give? Are you willing to give? Are you bountiful and cheerful when you give? Now, now, since it's the end of the year, I thought it'd be helpful maybe to honor the greatest giver at Christ Fellowship. I asked Jody this week, I don't ever look at what gives. He does more of the ministration. So I said, hey, it says in the Bible, outdo one another in showing honor. So I said, Jody, who gave the most in 2023? Brothers and sisters, the greatest giver, the most cheerful giver in 2023, and really in the history of Christ Fellowship, is God. The greatest giver since the beginning of the church, since the foundation of the world, is God himself. Like all of creation is a testimony to his generosity. If you've ever enjoyed anything in your life, if you've ever had a moment where you can't quit smiling, where you were overflowing with joy, the only right response is thanks be to God. Because every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. There's never been one who is more ready to give, who is more willing to give, who is more bountiful in his giving, who is more cheerful in his giving than our God is. But sadly, we often think, when we think about the gospel, we, we think about the gospel in a way that the Father sounds like, like a stingy tyrant, Instead of hearing the gospel being a gracious gift from a lavishly good and gracious father. 
I mean, think about it. Think about how we hear about the gospel. We talk about the gospel like God the Father is angry with us, that he's so frustrated with all your sins, that his wrath is hanging over us, and he'll always be angry with us. That is until Jesus comes along to win over the Father's love. Jesus goes to great lengths to win over the Father's love, to quiet his anger. The cross was the only way that the Father would ever love us, and Jesus wins his love back. Listen, if that's how you think about the gospel, it's wrong. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not how Jesus won over a stingy father's love. Now listen to the true gospel in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or let your heart be moved by Romans 8, 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who is the he? Oh, the Father did not spare his own son. God the Father did not spare his one and only son. His one special and unique son. His precious and perfect son. The father gave him up for us all. So here's the logic to that passage. If God the father was ready and willing and bountiful and cheerful in giving us his one and only son, heaven's favorite, what will he not give to us? I mean, if God the Father would give his greatest gift for sinners like you and like me, what would he not give us? So if God had been stingy with us, if that's the God that you worship, maybe that would make sense for you to be stingy too. But that's not the God we worship. Our good and gracious Father has been abundantly generous in giving us His Son. To to sinners who could never deserve it. To sinners who could do nothing to earn it. To, To rebels who did only deserve His wrath. Instead, He gave us Jesus. It's the greatest gift you could ever be given this Christmas. It's the greatest gift that God keeps on giving to his children. His one and only son. God is the most cheerful giver in all the universe. And so that means his people should be cheerful givers too. As one pastor said, we are never more like our Heavenly Father than when we give. If, our, if the sons and the 
daughters of the king want to be like their father. Do it by giving. Do it by being generous and look just like your father who would give his only son. Because the truth is, God's giving didn't stop with Jesus on the cross. No, our Father keeps on giving. Our Father is a cheerful giver, a joyful giver, who keeps on giving us lavishly day after day after day. Just look at verse 8 with me. Maybe one of my favorite verses in this whole book. It says this, And God is able to make all all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency at all in all things at all times you may abound in good work pastor i don't feel ready my heart doesn't feel willing i'm not bountiful in my giving i don't always feel cheerful when i give good news god is able to make all grace abound to you all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let me simplify that for you. God is the all-sufficient one. And out of his all-sufficiency, he is more than able to give you whatever you need, whenever you need it, to do his will. God is the all-sufficient one, and out of his all-sufficiency, he is more than able to give you whatever you need, whenever you need it to do his will. And in light of this passage, let me help you with what his will is today. His will is that you would be generous. That's what the passage is about. God is lavishing his grace upon his people that we might be generous like him. The rest of the passage, let me just summarize it for us. God supplies your every need. God enriches you in every way, fills you up in every way, not so that you keep it to yourself, not so you enjoy it alone by yourself, not so his grace will stop with you. No, God lavishes his grace on you so that it overflows in generosity to others and glory to himself. That's why God's given you anything that he gives you. That's why he gave you his one and only son. That's why he gave you every good and precious gift, not so you keep it to yourself, but so that that grace overflows in generosity to others, meets the needs of others, cares deeply for others that we heard last week, and brings glory to God. So that others in our lives experience his grace through us being generous with the gospel and us being generous with our homes, and us being generous with our money, us being generous with our time. Through our generosity, they experience God's grace. And everybody's heart overflows in thanksgiving to God. That's the goal of creation. 
That's the goal of salvation, that God pours out his grace upon his people. And the echo of his redeemed people is, God, thank you for your grace. God, thank you for your grace. This morning, I'm not here to guilt you into giving. And neither is your heavenly father. God is here, your Father is here this morning to grace you into giving. God gives so that you can be a giver. God cheerfully, without any reluctance, with zero compulsion to have to do it, God graciously, cheerfully gives you his one and only Son so that we get to be cheerful givers like him. If there's any reluctance in your heart this morning, if there's any holding back in giving in any way, the answer is not do more, try harder, get better. No, this morning, look at the love of the Father. Meditate on his generous heart and ask the Lord to make you generous like him for the good of others and for the glory of God. Meditate on the Father's love. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. If that doesn't loosen up our heart and our hands, nothing else will. Let's pray. Father, we ask that, Lord, you would fill our hearts with your grace. Lord, that you would flood our hearts with your grace and your generosity so that, Lord, in return, we might be willing and ready and bountiful in our giving and cheerful in our giving like you. Lord, our good and heavenly Father, with joy who gave your one and only Son, with joy sent him to earth for sinners like us With joy, Lord, put him on a cross and he rose again so that you might rescue a children back to yourself. Lord, through your cheerful giving, Lord, make us cheerful givers. Lord, if there's anybody here today who's never received the greatest gift of all, Lord, never received the cheerful gift of you giving your one and only son for their sins. Lord, I pray that they would turn from their sins and that they would receive Jesus who saves them from their sins and who is the greatest treasure that could ever satisfy them. Lord, I pray again that you would flood this room with your grace and with your love that it would loosen our hands, that it would loosen our hearts, Lord, so that we might give like you, that 
that Bowling Green, that the nations, that all might know of your grace, that, Lord, you are sending through your people. And that, Lord, it might, Lord, echo to greater glory, greater fame, overflow in thanksgiving to you, our great and gracious God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.